for gardeners, garden planning starts at seed selection. You pour through seed catalogs, visit garden centers with walls of colorful seed packets, and curate the perfect mix of herbs, vegetables, and flowers to grow in your garden. Those envelopes of seeds hold our future garden within them. We will nurture those seeds, tiny little specks, brown specks that look like nothing, into fully expressed tomato plants, salad greens, and a rainbow of flowers. The months of joy that comes from growing a garden from seed comes from this tiny envelope of potential. But our beginning, that simple purchase of tiny specks that hold the power to transform into the food we eat, is the end of a long, passionate journey for seed growers and suppliers. So many of us understand our seed journeys from planting in seed starting mix to harvesting from what we've grown, but many of us have a lack of understanding for just how those seeds get selected, cultivated, and frankly, how on earth you get the same amount of teensy tiny baby seeds in every single seed packet. It's beyond me. Today, we peek behind the curtain of the years-long process of producing the seeds we lovingly tend to, the journey of those seeds that gets us to our beginning of our gardens. Welcome to the Growing Joy podcast, where we not only learn how to care for plants successfully, but how to simply and affordably use our plant babies to cultivate more joy in our lives. I'm Maria, author of Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness, speaker, podcaster, and most importantly, an epic plant killer turned happy plant lady. On Growing Joy, you'll find conversations about plant care, plant community, and wellness through the lens of plants. Plant friends, thanks for joining us. I love this community so much. I feel so honored to be creating these weekly episodes for you to help you grow plants successfully and cultivate joy in your life. Hot damn. This is the kindest community of plant friends ever. It's been so fun hearing from you since the rebrand. Thank you. Thank you for showing up. I know that, you know, there's so many podcasts out there right now. There's so much to do. There's audiobooks, podcasts, TV shows, and you choose to show up to listen to this podcast on a weekly basis. And I just wanted to let you know, plant friend, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. And if you've been loving the show, if you could just take two minutes to leave a review for the podcast, that would mean the world to me. Reviews really do make a difference with how the show can reach other planty people who are ready to grow and join our community. I'm super excited for today's episode. I've been wanting to do this episode for years and finally have been able to get together with Territorial Seed Company to do it. I personally think, and this is from my experience, I think we take seeds and seed packets for granted a bit because like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, our journey starts at the seed packet. So we aren't involved in the cultivation of the seeds and the production of the seeds. So they just magically appear in these seed packets and then we put them in our seed starting mix and get on with our gardens. But over the last several years, as Territorial Seed Company has been a beloved partner of the podcast, I've gotten to know the kind and passionate growers at this company and all of the time and intention and hard work that goes into the production of these seed packets that we lovingly tend to. I love that Territorial Seed Company's purpose is to improve people's self-sufficiency and independence by enabling gardeners to produce an abundance of good-tasting, fresh-from-the-garden food 12 months a year. It's really about helping us help ourselves, right? They really don't take this mission statement lightly. 
And through getting to know them, through working with them, my eyes have really been opened to this whole production process that involves, you know, our tiny seed packets. And I started learning all the things that I didn't know. And frankly, Plant Friends, it's fascinating. The more I learned, the more I was like, oh my gosh, I bet a lot of my listeners don't understand how seeds get made either. And as we're all on this journey to develop a deeper connection to our gardens and to nature, I don't think we could have picked a better topic to explore as we gear up for seed starting season. Because it's time. I'm pouring through my seed catalogs right now and figuring out what to grow. And I'm actually growing some of Territorial Seed Company's kitchen garden collection in my lettuce grow over the winter as well. So I hope this episode helps you cultivate a new appreciation for the seed packets that we might take for granted sometimes and a celebration of the passion that goes into ensuring that we as the general public have the opportunity to empower ourselves through growing our own food from seed at such an affordable rate. So today I'm joined by two precious plant people that are integral to the journeys of these seeds. The journey that the seeds take from Territorial Seed Company in Oregon to our homes, Kat Barlow, buyer and resident flower lady, and Andrew Billing, product line manager at Territorial Seed Company. This conversation is amazing. We cover so much. We went a little bit long because there's just, it's a really fascinating production process and I wanted to cover it all. I hope you enjoy and I hope it inspires you to grow from seed this year, plant friends. Stay tuned till the end for some seed starting opportunities. Welcome to the Growing Joy podcast, Kat and Andrew. I am like giddy in in my chair right now to talk to you guys. I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. Thanks for having us. Yes, I'm so excited. Territorial Seed has been such a, a long-term friend of the show. I can't wait to learn more about the process. I've learned so much just talking to you guys and prep for this episode. But before we dive into all things seed growing and selling... Would you mind introducing yourselves to the audience and sharing a little bit of what you do for a Territorial Seed Company? Sure. My name is Andrew Billing. I'm the product line manager here at Territorial. Uh, wear a few hats, but I manage the uh, in-house trials. I'm the vegetable product manager, and I have a lot to do with uh, sourcing and uh, selling the varieties that we offer in the catalog, mostly vegetables and herbs. And I'm Kat Barlow. I'm a purchasing coordinator here at Territorial. And um, I purchase a lot of green goods, which includes garlic and potatoes and live plants. I also help out Andrew with product selection, especially with flowers. And I write a lot of the copy for our products in our catalog and on our website. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, so you're the flower lady, and Andrew is the edible guy. What is the right word for, is it edibles? What is the right word, or vegetables? Because I feel like edibles can be misconstrued. Is it vegetables? Yeah, vegetables, edibles, uh, either one works. Yeah, but it's great because we have both of your expertise today. So thank you for introducing yourselves. The other thing is, you know, our listeners have been hearing about Territorial Seed Company for a couple of years now because I've, you know, started seeds with them and grown so many things. Can you give like, I just feel like there's such a disconnection between the consumer and the company of all of the amazing things that you guys do and what makes you so unique and, and, you know, why your products are so high quality and, and mission driven and heart driven. So can you kind of just give us an intro to territorial seed beyond, you know, the ads that my listeners might've heard in the past? Sure. 
Territorial is has been around for over 40 years now. We're located in Cottage Grove, Oregon, which is in uh, western Oregon in the Willamette Valley. We were one of the very first seed companies to start up in the Pacific Northwest, and our founder went far and wide looking for vegetable varieties that performed well in our cool maritime climate. And so that's kind of the origin of our company. Ever since then, we've been looking to offer vegetable, home garden vegetable, flower and herb varieties to consumers that perform well here because if it performs well in our cool summer environment, it performs pretty much anywhere else in the United States. So that's kind of the the basis of our company. And we've grown over the years to offer all kinds of different gardening supplies and uh, flowers and plants and all different sorts of products. So this was interesting to me when I learned about the company, because I know that's a big part of your mission statement. Like, what is it about the climate that makes whatever's grown there and tested there so hardy? Yeah, our research farm where we do most of our research and seed production is up in the Cascade foothills. And it's about I think it's about 800 feet elevation. So it's a little bit higher elevation. But combined with where we are located um, along the Pacific coast, um, we experience very uh, mild maritime climate. So the summers are very cool. Uh, the, you know, the overnight lows will still dip down into the 40s up through July. And so we don't have a lot of heat. And so the varieties that perform well for us and that we ultimately offer for sale are ones that do well in short season climates. And so if you can grow it at our farm, you'll probably have success growing it in other areas of the country with short seasons like the upper Midwest or the Northeast. And um, they'll definitely perform in the South where there's a lot more uh, warmth. Okay. So the conditions are like more rigorous than most of the country. So if they do well with you, then they're going to do well elsewhere. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I've never even really thought about that before hearing, you know, the territorial spiel, but it makes a lot of sense. So the other thing that we like to do, we encourage our gardeners to produce food year round. And so we, we put out a winter catalog as well as our regular spring book. And it's specifically tailored to the types of vegetables and herbs and things like that that grow well in cooler seasons. So our goal is to help people feed themselves year-round from their own gardens. Yeah, I mean, that's as I've done a bunch of interviews for the podcast, I think that's a big thing that I've learned is that people think the growing season is tomatoes in the summer, but there's so much to grow in the fall. There's so much to plant in the fall to harvest in the spring. You know, garlic is a huge thing for you guys. I didn't even realize garlic is something you could grow yourself. And now it's like great for pest management. It's great for me being Italian. There's so much more variety. And I think gardeners really suffer from that. I call it gardener's itch, like in the winter when there's nothing to do and you're dying before you start your seeds. And I feel like it helps mitigate gardener's itch as well, if you can kind of extend your growing season. And your catalogs are like educational in that way as well, because you realize that there's stuff that you could grow that you didn't really realize you could. Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. I appreciate that Territorial has expanded their live plant collection because I feel like what I've realized is with seed starting, you know, this is going to be my third 
or my fourth season seed starting, but I'm still kind of new when it comes to seed starting. And what I've realized is you have to like pick and choose your battles with what you want to start from seed and what just like makes way more sense to buy pre-grown. And so I love that with territorial, usually I, I now do, you know, a seed order and a live plant order because I'm like, I'm not going to grow my own peppers. I'm not starting my peppers from seed. It's just too much. But I'll, you know, I'll order the pepper plants. Your snacking peppers I've grown like three years in a row. (laughs) I'm the same way. So I pick and choose. And I also know that our farm does a great job at growing tomatoes and peppers and things like that. So I let them do that work. And then, you know, the things that we don't necessarily have as live plants, like a lot of the flowers, that's where I'm, I'll, I'll focus my seed production or seed uh, planting. Totally. I tried dahlia tubers for the first time last year, and I'm a changed woman after growing some dahlias from you guys and figuring out. I feel like tubers can be really intimidating for someone who's never done it before. But once you experience growing a dahlia in your garden, it's like you can't go back. No, and um, we're introducing four or five new dahlias for the spring spring planting. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. Just wait till you see them. If we'll, we'll have them up online. Well, actually, when this airs, it'll they'll be selling. But incredible! Any colors? Any interesting colors you're excited about? Yeah, a lot of warmer colors like oranges and reds. Bi colors. There's a dinner plate that is like eight or 10 to 12 inches across and it's like creamy white on the outside and pink like petals on the inside and then a a burst of yellow in the very center. It's really amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. The one I grew was Kogane Fabuki, I think its name was, but it's yellow on the inside and pink on the outside. It's ombre. And it was just it took my breath away every time I saw it. And I couldn't believe I made it. I was like, I can't believe I grew you. But yeah, that's oh, so cool. I'm I'm a flower mama now too. Okay, so this is perfect. So we've already in the first 10 seconds, we've talked about dahlias. We've talked about tubers, seeds. We've talked about so many things. So something that I think is interesting that a lot of people don't realize is how many different ways that you source seeds and not just seeds, how you source all of the the plants and the seeds that you grow. Let's focus on seeds because it's Territorial Seed Company. But can you talk about all of the different ways that TSC like even sources the seeds that they can then sell to all of us? Yeah, um, we work with vegetable and flower breeders and also uh, seed producers from around the world. We have real good relationships with with people that are producing seed, and we go to trade shows and conferences and things like that to, you know, make connections and and meet with these people and find out you know what they're doing and what's new, what's coming up. Yeah, that's that's how we source a lot of our seeds, and of course, our farm grows about twenty five percent of the varieties that we offer, but mostly vegetables. So they. They produce those seeds. So around 75% of the seeds are coming from thoroughly vetted outside vendors. I think that's interesting that the seed world is collaborative and not competitive in that way, that you're actually establishing relationships with different growers to make sure you have the most extensive like selection. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We partner with a lot of really uh, well-known and well-established breeding organizations, universities. Um, We contract production with seed farmers, 
in our local area here in the Willamette Valley and all over the country. So it's it's a really interesting industry to work in with uh, people from all over doing different things. And I think, you know, one of the things that makes you unique is that you're actually kind of growing and harvesting seeds on your farm. So can you talk a little bit about what the farm sourcing looks like? Yeah. So the farm is responsible for producing a lot of the varieties we offer in the catalog. Our main crops are tomatoes, lettuce, peppers, some squash, beans, peas, corn, and um, we're mostly growing the open pollinated varieties there. And those are mostly heirloom varieties that we've stewarded for a long time. And we get them from various sources, but these are mostly varieties that we've been working with for, um, you know, many years. We have quite a, a big selection that we work with. So you guys know this from offline, but I have a fascination with the quote unquote seed vaults or the doomsday vaults, um, these like secret seed vaults around the world that are housing like the future food for us if we go through some sort of crazy apocalypse. And you have one of those too. So can you, (laughs) and that's, is that part of your sourcing seeds? Do you ever pull from that? Can you just like give us a little hint into what that looks like for you guys? Sure. We call it our stock seed bank and it's, um, it's a walk-in cooler full of all different kinds of seed that we've collected over the years, uh, seed that people have sent us that they've been saving, old varieties that we no longer offer for sale, but we still have the the seed of um, varieties that have been bred by universities over the years, material from other seed companies, you name it. And there's like hundreds and hundreds of different varieties of vegetables, flowers, and herbs in there. And um that's part of our um, what we do at Territorial is preserve the genetics. And so, you know, the seed lasts for quite a while in the vault, but every once in a while we have to pull it out to replenish the seed stock and regrow the seed so we can get fresh seed off of it to ensure that the, uh, the genetics stay good and viable um, for the future. So the crew who runs the farm is in charge of replenishing the seed stock. But I, as a product manager, get to look at that every year when they pull out certain varieties. And um, we do make product selections based off of things we find in the seeds in the seed bank. So it's a lot of fun. Um, You know, in the winter when I'm planning the upcoming trial year and what I'm planning on looking at, I will go through the, the inventory and just kind of, Google around. A lot of times there's not, this is pre-internet, so there's not a lot about some of these varieties out there. So I have to do a lot of digging to figure out what they are. But um, yeah, it's a really fun part of the job. Yeah, I want to dive deeper here because this is just a personal fascination of mine. But before that, I want to zoom out because I want to grill you guys a little bit about, I'm just like, I'm fascinated, you know, we think about these little seed packets that we buy, you know, that we order on the internet or that we buy at the grocery store. And there's just so much more that goes into it. And also, you know, you guys are known for your variety, but also there's such a variety. I just have questions for you about that. So number one, how do you decide what gets grown in-house at, because How many seed companies actually have farms like that? Like, is that very normal that people are growing some in-house and then going and sourcing externally as well? Some companies do, but definitely not all of them. That's one of the reasons that we are kind of unique is that we do produce um, much of what we sell in-house. So the decision 
largely has to do with, well, what what do we grow well at our farm in our particular climate? Because you can't grow every seed crop everywhere. It just doesn't do well. So, uh, for instance, with our cool, dry summers, they lend themselves really well to lettuce production. Um, so we, we produce a lot of the lettuce on our own farm, uh, tomatoes, that sort of thing. Um, there are other crops that are more challenging for us that we aren't able to produce in-house. So we contract that production out or find it from a wholesale producer. That sounds similar to my approach of what I'm starting seeds, what seeds I'm starting versus what I'm outsourcing buying fully grown. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Interesting. Yep. Um, You know, every vegetable is different and just requires different um, climate. So we work with what we grow well. A lot of seed we... Uh, the breeders that breed the seed do the production. So if we decide to go with one of those products, a lot of that production is done by the the company that bred it. And then for other things that maybe we want to take on the production for, but we can't do it on our own farm, then we'll um, contract with a seed grower either locally or somewhere th- else in the United States with a better climate for production and will um, contract that production out. So there's, there's many different ways to go about obtaining the product. Yeah. What about like trend forecasting? Cause I would assume people grow different things, you know, see not seasonally, but like, you know, trends in the gardening industry, trends in the houseplant industry, there must be trends in the houseplant industry. So how does trend forecasting fold into what you're sourcing and what you're selecting? Well, we kind of keep our finger on the pulse of the industry by um, looking at influencers who are, you know, in my case, like fresh flower people, smaller market gardeners, growers um, who are producing fresh flowers, the wedding industry, what the trends are there for flowers, crafts, because that can kind of go into the flower floral industry too. Um, you know, there's a big resurgence of interest in everlasting flowers, so dried flowers. That's a big thing. And then also working with our partners, the, the breeders and the wholesale production or seed production people, they have a, a much bigger scope on the demand. So they'll, they'll, you know, clue us into what's really looking popular. So you're looking for like what flowers are getting requested by floral vendors or the wedding industry, and then figuring out how to back your way into being able to provide the seeds and tubers for those flowers. Exactly. Okay. What about with the food? Is there a difference with the edible stuff? It's mostly the same. I'm paying attention to culinary trends, uh, what influencers and chefs are using in their recipes and what they're promoting. I'm seeing what market farmers and uh, farmers who um, run CSA programs are selling because they're often some of the earliest adopters of new vegetable types. Seeing what is selling at the farmer's market, what's at grocery stores and that sort of thing all kind of lead up to it. And of course, like what, um, what new research is coming out of universities and that sort of thing all plays into it. And we try our best to time the trends, but sometimes we're not quite there. You know, um, you know, we will introduce something and it won't do too well. And then, years later it'll become a trend and we'll bring it back. So it's a it's a it's a fun part of the job, but it there's kind of an art to it. 
No, I, I feel like you see that in the houseplant space too. The classic example being, you know, the Pilea peperomiotes, the freshman, the friendship plant, when it rose to popularity, it was like $40, $80 a pot, you know, and then the growers caught wind of that and then they grew it out. And now it's like $5 at every Trader Joe's I ever go to. And it's just so seeing the trends of houseplants and also like the cost and the availability is really interesting. I think it's cool that you're looking at the CSAs and you're looking at the the chefs. That's interesting. You had shared offline a story about the shishito. What's the, what's this, um, the lifeline of the shishito pepper when it comes to you guys? We had carried a shishito for a long time, but it was always one of the less popular types of peppers. And for a couple of years there, we were questioning whether we wanted to continue offering a shishito. And then suddenly, you know, it shows up and it's very trendy. And it went from last place to one of our top selling peppers at this point. So um, it's just an example of how we kind of sometimes we're a little bit ahead of the curve on the trends. Fortunately, vegetables are a little bit more stable. Uh, they're a little less prone to the the trends um, than flowers are. Cat has a lot more of a challenging job when it comes to trends. For sure. Especially with Florette too. I'm like obsessed with that. If you want to talk about influencers and, you know, I'm on her email list and, and love her TV show on Magnolia. But yeah, I do feel like flowers are very quick. You know, I planned three weddings because I was in the, um, I was a COVID bride. And I even think my bouquet over the course of three my wedding got postponed three times o- over a year and a half. And I feel like our florals changed over the year and a half or even just what was trendy, which is interesting. But the food pretty much stayed the same. Plant friends, February is here. If you're anything like me and my husband, you're craving some sunlight. <laughs> The sun goes down at like 4.30 where we live right now, and it's been kind of depressing. So don't wait for daylight savings to get your sunshine fixed. Treat yourself and your plants to Soltech and their incredible line of grow lights now and just bring the sunshine indoors. Each Soltech light fixture features a quality-built aluminum body paired with a warm white light spectrum. Soltech offers a range of American-designed products for any decor or light needs. Whether you're buying for your succulent collection or a bird of paradise, every purchase comes with a 90-day money-back guarantee and an impressive five-year warranty. I have had... Three Soltech Aspects, which are the pendant hanging light and a Vita Grow Bulb. And I've had my Aspects for at least three years and they're still working perfectly. I love that all of the lights come with timers. Their Vita Grow Bulb is screwed into my office desk lamp, keeping my office plants company. Their lights are unparalleled and I have like four or five of them. (laughs) Get true peace of mind with stylish illumination in every season to keep your plants happy and healthy. Light up your life with Soltech because better plants deserve better lights. To grab a light of your own, go to soltech.com and use code BLOOM15 to get 15% off at checkout. Once again, that's soltech.com and use code BLOOM15 for 15% off. Hands down, one of the best things Billy and I have done for our mindfulness practices in 2023 is absolutely hang wind river chimes on either side of our house. So they sing in the wind throughout the day, and every time they do, their melodies are an invitation to stop what we're doing, take a deep breath, and drop back into the present. 
Not to mention the rich tone and the melodies that come from these gorgeous chimes, which also look beautiful, by the way, are so calming that our house truly feels like a spa. <laughs> I woke up this morning to the, the chimes that were playing in the background and I just started giggling in bed and I looked at Billy just being like, why is our house a spa with these chimes? They sound so good. So Wind River is using their ad time today to gift you, plant friend, with a mindful moment using their chimes. So please enjoy. So take a deep breath in, deep, 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 big breath, pull in some positivity, and exhale. Exhale anything that isn't serving you today. Another deep breath in. Imagine these beautiful sounds singing to you outside of your window every day, plant friends. It's funny, as I'm editing this episode, the chimes that are right outside of my office are singing to me. If you don't already know, Wind River is a Virginia-based company that has been lovingly creating premium handcrafted and hand-tuned wind chimes for over 35 years. And not only are they made in the U.S., but Wind River is rooted in service. So for their chimes purchased on windriverchimes.com, they actually donate 20 percent of the purchase price to different charitable partners each month. So plan friend, what are you waiting for? Get yourself or your loved one a chime for their next birthday or holiday or just because you want your home to sound like a spa. And use code growingjoy at windriverchimes.com to get a free engraving to add a special element to your gift. The chimes come in a variety of colors, sizes, and sounds, so head over to their website, windriverchimes.com, and don't forget to use the code GROWINGJOY at checkout to receive a free engraving on all Corinthian Bell's wind chimes. So then, do you guys have, like, your tried and true, like, when you're thinking about sourcing and what new stuff you're adding and what, you know, old stuff you're getting rid of, do you have your, like, key hero sets of seeds and plants that you're always selling and like what percentage of that versus the percentage of new stuff that you're folding in? Yeah, we definitely have our TSC favorite varieties that kind of stick around and they've been with us for decades, like the cranberry bean and our black cocoa and a couple of fava beans. And um, that's, you know, tomato heirloom tomatoes that we've been working with for decades. Those will always be there and our customers have come to expect them. So we'll have them. Um, I would say, I don't know about the percentage. I would say probably it can vary 25%. It depends on the, the crop category that we're talking about. Um, tell me about what's a cranberry bean. Yeah. It's uh, also known as Vermont cranberry. It's a really nice, uh, large, almost like a kidney bean. It's speckled. The variety that we carry is a bush type, and it's really early and high yielding, and it's just a fantastic. Be- it's all around bean. I grew a bunch in 2020. I got like 50 pounds off of a couple, you know, maybe 200 row feet or something like that, and I've been enjoying them for a couple of years. But um, it's a great all-purpose bean. Why is it called cranberry? I think it because it looks like a cranberry kind of. It's a little oh, it's a like the red, size of a cranberry. One. Yeah. Oh, it's red. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, that's cool. See, you learn a new thing. I think that's the other fun thing that I've learned about seed starting is you get 
so many different opportunities to grow really weird stuff. You know, when you go to the garden center and I'm not knocking the garden center, right? I do a mixture of seed starting and seeds and ordering from you guys and going to the garden center, but you're getting beefsteak, tomato, early girl, tomato, Roma, tomato, and a standard cherry tomato. There's not a lot of variety at the garden center, but then I go on your website and there's like every type of tomato you could have, almost an overwhelming amount of tomatoes to choose from, you know? So I do think that's that's really cool that you can learn about the food chain more that way too, you know, learn about more different unique stuff. Yep. We are known for having a very broad selection uh, and we take pride in that. We really like to find the best in every category and offer a wide range. So yeah, we do, we do get the feedback that we have a lot of tomatoes, but uh, I, I know them all personally and I, they all have a, a spot in our heart and a reason. To oh yeah. It. Not <laughs> knocking it. Keep the variety. I love <laughs> yeah. it too. I love trying. I'm a cherry tomato girl. I don't like growing the big ones. I like just, I'd rather have, you know, 20 cherry tomato plants. And, um, I feel like that's something that you you don't find a lot of variety on in the garden center. So I love, you know, I like wax poetic about your blush varietal. When I grew that, my husband couldn't, it's tie-dyed. It's a tie-dye yeah. cherry tomato. It's wild. We're obsessed with it. So, okay, we're talking a lot about sourcing, but what I really want to get into the nitty gritty on is how you're trialing seeds because- what I didn't realize is sometimes it takes years before you're even selling a seed. So can you kind of go over like a high level of the trialing process on the farm for seeds that either you're sourcing? I mean, this is twofold, right? Because you're trialing seeds that you bring in from outside and then you're also trialing seeds that you're growing. So can you kind of just walk us through a high level what that looks like? Sure. Yeah, um, we conduct pretty extensive trials here. And that's another thing that makes Territorial stand out is that we do a lot more trialing than most um, other seed companies out there. The whole industry kind of works on this process of trialing because, you know, we're selling you a seed in a packet, but that's not the ultimate product that we're selling you. We're selling you the tomato that you're going to have 90 days later. And so trialing is a way that we can grow out and vet the product. And so... Basically, what that means, as far as we're concerned, is we source comparable varieties from multiple sources, whether they're like different breeders or from the stock seed bank. If I'm looking at a specific category like yellow bell pepper, for instance, I'll find bell peppers, yellow bell peppers that I think will meet the needs. Um, I'll get samples of those bell peppers. The partners that we work with will send me samples. And how many different varieties are we talking about when you're thinking about one bell pepper? How many are you looking at? It really depends on how many varieties are out there, what's coming down the breeding pipeline, uh, that sort of thing. So if I'm doing just like a bell pepper trial, I'll probably have at least 12 different varieties of the same category that I'm looking at. Tomatoes are very competitive too. There's a lot of breeding development happening in tomatoes. So there's always a lot of tomatoes to look at. A lot of it is market research that I do in the off season this time of year, trying to figure out what looks the best. And then when we set up the trial, I'm taking a selection of yellow bell peppers from all over potential sources. I also will grow out 
all of the bell peppers that we're currently selling to compare it to. Um, I will get bell peppers from our competitors so I can see what our competitors are selling and see, you know, if it stacks up against that. And then um, the trial is essentially just growing them all out side by side and seeing what happens. What does that look like? You just have a field of bell peppers? Like, how do you organize that? Like, that sounds overwhelming. And you're doing that for like so many different plants. So how did, what does that look like at the farm? Yeah, it's uh, it, it takes a lot of management to keep things straight. Let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> I have a database that I use and everything is tracked in the database and everything is assigned a specific plot number. Most trials range between 12 and 24 plants a piece, or if it's like a direct zone thing, it's about 20 to 40 row feet. And then, uh, yeah, they're planted out on the field. And then the important thing about the trial is we let stuff happen. We do not baby things. We do not intervene too dramatically in any anything that's happening in the trial because we want to see how these varieties compare with one another when it comes to disease resistance and pest resistance and uh, drought tolerance and that sort of thing. So it's a very hands-off approach because we want to we want to see which is the strongest candidate so we'll only intervene with pest management or disease management if it looks like we would lose the whole trial and we wouldn't be able to get any results and then we're out there all season taking notes and evaluating and taking photos eating it doing taste tests and that sort of thing and then um the, the final part of the trial is when we are narrowing our decision down to a couple of Uh, final candidates that we want to go forward with we're getting a lot of marketing material so we're taking photographs and cats out there writing the copy that goes in the catalog and that sort of thing so that's the process as it works for us okay i have some follow-up questions so it's interesting to think that you're not intervening that much because say you're trialing 12 yellow pepper plants and there's an outbreak of some sort of disease, that's an opportunity for you to figure out which one is the most disease resistant. Exactly. Huh. And also, I just have to shout out the beautiful illustrations that you have on your seeds. I mean, you have photos on your website, but I love your seed packets and the pretty illustrations on them. Okay. So you're developing the marketing materials. And then you said then is when you start sourcing. What does that mean? It depends on the source. So we, at that point, it depends... If the pepper is coming from a vendor that already has the seed produced and ready to go, then we can move right into bringing the seed in and packaging it and selling it. If it's something that doesn't have a commercially available source yet, then we either have to produce it ourselves or contract grow it with somebody else. And then a lot of the uh, varieties that I'm trialing are pre-commercial, so For instance, a university public breeder or a private breeder will send me varieties that are not quite ready for commercial release, and they're seeking our feedback on which ones we prefer, in which case I'm I'm usually trialing two or three years ahead of commercial release. Wow. Okay. So this is interesting. So you're not trialing what's available. You're you're trialing for the best option, and then you're going to find it by hell or high water. It's not necessarily just picking the the, red, the most readily available. You might end up having to source it, which will take longer, but it'll be the tastiest bell pepper. What are you doing with like all the bell peppers you grow 
that year? Are you donating <laughs> them? Are you composting them? Like the ones that don't make the cut, like what do you do with all that food that you grow on the farm? Yeah, it'll, uh, most of it gets uh, harvested. We bring it down here and distribute it to staff and we take it to the local food banks. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Okay. What's the timeline of this? Like how many years does it take to trial a seed and then get it to market? Like, so say you've got a new variety. What's the timeline until I get to grow that seed? For us, we are usually trialing two to three years before we offer it for sale. And if it's something that's newly been bred, it could be, you know, eight years of breeding work before it even gets to us. Wow. So that's sometimes 10 years of investment on your end before you're even putting it in the seed packet to sell to people. What makes a seed in your trialing? Like, what are you looking for? What makes it good versus what makes it bad? Like what makes something selectable versus something that doesn't make the cut? We look for um, uniformity, figure in the plants, production. So, you know, you could have a, a beautiful plant, but no fruit on it. And that's, you know, what good is that? We look for, well, in uniformity, you don't want off types. You want everything to be, you know, consistent. For vegetables, it's, you know, you're always looking for a flavor. Eye appeal, of course, uh, that, that goes for both flowers and vegetables. Insect and uh, disease resistance, mm -hmm. if it produces after, you know, continually produces, so constant pr production, days to maturity, so how fast it produces. And is there, like, anything that would cause a plant to get bumped off, like, to get cut that wouldn't necessarily be, like, a natural thought? Like, is there anything that you look for to cut that isn't, you know, it it got disease. It didn't produce. Like, is there anything weird that, that you're looking for that we, I wouldn't necessarily think of? All the time, there are things that get cut for one reason or another. It could be incredibly great tasting, beautiful tomato, but if it only produces two per plant at the end of the season, like we're just not going to offer it because it won't be successful for our customers, if that makes sense. Do you guys carry the white tornasol tomato? No, we don't. Okay, I have a bone to pick with it then, if you don't. Okay, um, go for I, it. I bought it this summer. I was so late to the game because my book launch was right in the gardening season, so I did mostly starts. And we were at a farmer's market one day. My husband saw a white tornasol tomato. It's a white tomato. And we had to bring, he had to bring it home. He wanted me to grow it. That plant produced one tomato, maybe two tomatoes. And yes, they were white. It was very cool. And I will say it was a delicious tomato. But one tomato for three months of work, I was like, oh, my God. And then the second one, like, I think it maybe grew a second, but it like rotted or it just, I don't know. It was just, it was a disappointment. I mean, it was cool. It was a white tomato, whatever. But I think that is like interesting that personally, like, I'll never grow that again because I'm like, what am I doing with one tomato? This is the dumbest thing ever. But it was fun for my husband. So we've got to, you know, we've got to fold him into the gardening experience. He's got to have, you know, ownership too. And then how do you know in the trialing process, like, okay, we're ready to bring this to market. Like it's time to sell the seed. Like what's the trigger for that? When you have something that meets, when it checks all the boxes, it's ready to go. And as long as there's a supply for it, we want to offer it to our customers. Every year, there's something outstanding in the fields. 
and it, they just call your name. That's the, the really cool thing about trials is you get to meet and get to know these plants like they're people and they all have their different personalities. And it, you know, some of them like the pepper this year. Oh man. Mm-mm. Tell me about the pepper. <laughs> what, the look, if you guys could only see the look on, if you could only see the look on Kat's face right now, she just like, she's glowing talking about this pepper. <laughs> yeah, it was so loaded with fruit that I, I just couldn't believe it. It was amazing. That's our new one called Bridge to Paris. Yeah. And it, you know, it has a great story and it's a great pepper. It looks good. It's just so fruitful. So what type know, of pepper is it? It's an Italian. Italian type. frying? Cool. Yeah. The sweet. Yeah. Corno. Italian sweet pepper? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. And Kat, I wanted to ask you, you know, so you're sourcing most of the flowers. So you're trialing sourced tubers and seeds and whatever. Are there differences with, you know, what you see happening trialing with edibles versus with flowers? Not necessarily. They, uh, when we do the evaluations, we're, we're looking at very similar things as far as the plant's productivity and uniformity. We just don't eat them, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're looking, we're looking for disease and pest resistance, color, fragrance. My only complaint about my dahlias was it took so long for them to flower. Like, I feel like flowers are a little bit longer patience. And yes, they go into the fall, but like, I want the flower. I'm, I'm impatient. That's where timing comes in. So dahlias are a late season flower. You're not going to get them until the end of summer, unfortunately. You can force them if you want to. Like probably in your area, you want to dig up the tubers and overwinter them inside. So you could actually start them early. And as soon as it warms up, get them outside. But a lot of flowers are are day length sensitive. And so they're going to bloom when they bloom. It's That's the way it is. So with with things like that, I like to mix up the early season and the late season. So you kind of get a, a revolving uh, palette of different flowers and different colors and, and shapes and forms and things like that. That's where bulbs come in really nicely. Like yeah. the spring bulbs, they happen. And then they, as soon as they start dying down, you get your, your spring perennials coming up and you can always fill in with annuals that just flower all season long until the frost. So mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom was amazing at that. They, she lives in Florida now, but uh, when she was in New York, she she called her house Holland. She she planted like hundreds of tulips, and she had her bulbs timed. I mean, there was just always something popping up, you know, whether it was a bulb or a perennial, some, a spring flower, and we had beautiful bouquets all summer long, you know, which is so cool. Okay, have you heard of Barabee Weighted Blankets, plant friends? I've been a weighted blanket user for over three years and recently upgraded my old, ugly, and super hot, sweaty weighted blanket for a Barabee tree napper weighted blanket, and I've been sleeping so beautifully under this stylish and cozy blanket. So plant friends, if you don't know, weighted blankets have been medically proven to aid naturally deeper sleep cycles. So the weight that the weighted blanket gives on your body actually stimulates the production of serotonin, the happy hormone. It reduces cortisol, the stress hormone, and it increases melatonin, which helps us all fall and stay asleep. When you put a weighted blanket on, 
it feels like you're just being hugged. It's the greatest feeling ever. And I don't think I can give a better endorsement for weighted blankets because I've personally used one for three years every single night. When I was on tour with cats in 2019, I actually traveled with my 20 pound weighted blanket across the country. That's how much I love weighted blankets. Okay, plant friends. And Bearby is making the best ones out there. It's a sustainable home wellness brand on a mission to help create calmer and more comforted people. They offer a variety of products, included their original cotton napper, which is the coziest looking chunky knit blanket you'd want on any bed or couch. The tree napper, which is the cooling weighted blanket. That's the one that I have because I run hot when I sleep. They have a fancy, like luxurious looking velvet napper, which is made of ocean bound plastic bottles, a hug it, which is a sensory knot pillow and the cuddler, a body pillow. So there's a product for everyone to help improve your sleep. Plan friends, life's too short. Get good sleep. Another thing to make it make you feel even better about Barabee is that their products are sustainably made with organic cotton, eco velvet, and tinsel. Treat yourself, plant friends. I can't wax poetic enough about the difference that sleeping with a weighted blanket has made for me in my three years and how lovely the Barabee blanket is. It's so stylish. They're so beautiful and they're so comfortable and cozy, especially this winter, right? So grab yourself your weighted blanket of your choice in your chosen color and weight at barabee.com and use code GROWINGJOY at checkout for free, faster shipping. Once again, that's barabee.com and code GROWINGJOY at checkout for free, faster shipping. Okay, so I know that also, and I don't really understand this, so I want you to explain it, but I know that you guys are also like creating your own seeds, like your own special inventions of the plants. And I know like the seed vault, the the seed, what do we call it? Not the seed vault, the, I'm going to call it the seed vault, but I know that's part of it. I know you're at, like, what does that look like? Cause you're also trying to create the coolest new varieties on your farm, right? We don't have a full fledged breeding program at this point. Um, but over the years we have done uh, breeding work and released many never-before-seen varieties. And some of those are collaborations with private plant breeders, and some of them are with public plant breeders. We also have our what we call our maintenance breeding program that we engage in at our farm, which is basically over the years working with certain varieties, we've gotten to select them for certain traits. And so they exhibit slightly different traits than the original lines that they came from. So for instance, we have a Cherokee purple tomato, which is a pretty common variety of heirloom tomato, but we've been working with it for so many years and selecting for higher yields and earliness and slightly smaller fruit that if you were to grow it, our Cherokee purple alongside someone else's Cherokee purple, you could see a difference. And we do that because our Cherokee purple performs better in our cool season climate and it'll perform better for people with cool season climates. Oh, so it's not just that you're creating new species. You're actually just selecting like survival of the fittest, like the best version of that Cherokee purple. So a territorial seed Cherokee purple is going to perform better than the Cherokee purple that I might buy at the local garden center from like a random. That's what we I don't say. Know. That's what you say. <laughs> cool. It will. <laughs> it will. <laughs> well, you certainly trial it enough. I mean, I would believe you at this point after hearing the blood, sweat and tears that goes into this process. Yeah. 
Oh, and that's part of my trials too, is proving it out. You know, I prove it out every year. Wow. That's wild. It sounds like collaboration is like huge in this with the relationships that you're partnering with the growers and with the people who are growing out the plants that you're going to sell, but also these special partnerships that you're creating new seeds with. Like, can you speak a little bit more about the collaborative process? Cause that's also something I'll always remember like a couple of years ago, I wanted to do an interview with a very specific seed provider that grows Asian heritage seeds. But I remember calling you guys to be like, Hey, I know you sponsor me, but I want to make sure this is cool. I'm going to work with this person. And they were like, no, like talk to whoever you want. Like we're, this is a collaborative family of seed growers. And I remember being nervous about being like, God, I don't know if they're going to see this as their competitor. I don't know if they're going to ask me to not do this interview and that in my integrity is going to make me feel bad. Um, but you guys were like, no, like definitely go for it. And that's always kind of surprised me in, in this field. So can you speak a little bit more to that collaboration? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the fun parts of working in, in this industry is you get to collaborate with all different entities all over. So, and I think that it, it goes back to the original days of saving seed and swapping seed and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, you show off what you've got, you lend some seed to somebody else, they give you stuff. So we, we trade seed samples with other seed companies that are our competitors just to see what we're doing. And then also there's this element of collaboration because when you're developing a new vegetable variety, you want to know how it performs in different environments. And we have so many different climates across the country. So if I, if I'm developing a carrot for this specific climate I'm in, it might not perform well in a different area. And so the companies that are actively participating in breeding new varieties want to send their material out to us and other seed companies and get feedback on which perform well so that they can make informed decisions about what to move forward with as the best possible candidate. So in that respect, we're always providing feedback and working with um, other companies within the industry. Yeah, it's so interesting. So I know we're like running out of time already. I feel like I could talk to you guys for hours about these, about seeds, which is so funny. But um, okay, so we've trialed the seed. You got that feeling. Your new pepper, you're so excited about it. You're bringing it to market. What does that look like? Because I mean, a stupid question that I have is like, how do you get the same amount of seeds in each seed packet when they're so dang small? But also, you know, like, what does that look like to get a seed into mass production and then around the country or online for sales? Like, what what does that whole high level of the process look like before I dive into, but how do you count all the tiny little seeds question? <laughs> So, yeah. So if we have a seed that we want to produce and sell, it can be a multi, a multi-year process. So if we start out with just a handful of something that I got from, uh, somebody that gave me, uh, sent me seed, for instance, let's say I have 10 pepper seeds, it could be multiple years of increasing the population and harvesting the seed from that before we have enough seed to actually sell to people along the, uh, along the way. We're doing what we call roguing, which is 
we're removing any plants that don't exhibit the best qualities from the population to keep their genes from passing on into the next crop of seed. So it depends on the crop, but that can take multiple generations. So multiple years if you're looking at seasonality. Okay. Yeah. Of that Cherokee purple moment of pulling the stuff that doesn't come early as you kind of refine that end product. Yep. And increase the amount of seed we're working with. And then eventually we'll do a crop of the seed and get enough that we think we can sell. You know, it could be five pounds of a pepper or something like that. It's quite a bit of pepper seed. Then it goes through a pretty rigorous quality control process. We do uh, germination testing on it to make sure that the germ meet our company standards, which is higher than federal and state standards. We do disease testing on it to make sure that it's clear of any potential seedborne diseases. And then we do what's called a grow out, which is where we spend an entire season growing out that seed from that lot in order to look at it to make sure that it's absolutely good to go. So in the cases of some crops, that's... That's after you've already trialed it? Yeah. And after we've done a seed crop of it. So that's like an additional quality control step that is part of the process with our company. So yeah, there's a lot of time investment from deciding what seed to to offer and actually making it into the packet. And Kat can talk a little bit more about the packing and distribution. Yeah. So we have a seed filling department that will take the bulk seed and break it down into the smaller package sizes, depending on, you know, we have um, like this, the small sampler size, which is like the normal home gardener kind of plant. And then larger sizes for market growers or somebody who's really, really into whatever, you know, that plant is like they want 75 bridge to Paris plants or 150, they get a bigger package. So there are a couple different ways that we fill the seed into our packages. There's always the the hand filler. Some some of them are actually physically like tablespooned out and weighed and and put into the package by hand. We also have a couple of um, seed pack machines that will uh, distribute the the seed into the packages like automatically. We have you know just one person will be will be running this this machine, and it just fills all the envelopes like super fast. And then and it's like um so say you figure out okay thirty zinnia seeds are going to weigh this much, so the machine just goes by weight of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we have seed counters, several seed counting machines, and that actually will count the individual seeds for counted seed packages. So you have people on salary who are sitting in your farm or sitting in your packaging center, literally teaspooning seeds into your pack. And what are those seeds? Are those the seeds that are so small that they can't get counted by a machine? Yeah, sometimes they're they're small or they're shaped weird. And so they, they wouldn't work on a machine. The things like beans and and those type of seeds that are really uniform and are heavy and, you know, they'll go through a machine, no problem, but maybe more of the the fragile seeds, they have to be handled differently. And we sell organic seed, organically grown seed, and that has to be treated separately than the conventional. So there are all these guidelines for how to handle, you know, the different types of seeds like that. That to me is wild. And also like last year, 
I got my territorial seed shipment and I think it was my rosemary seed came in the packet, but it came in a vial in the packet because those seeds are so small that the packet like wasn't enough almost. <laughs> yeah. Those, those are really unusual because that that's a pelleted, a multi-seed pellet. So each one of those little guys in the, in the vial has several rosemary seeds and but they do that. That's processed outside so that, you know, you'll, you'll have at least one of those seeds in that pellet will, will germinate and grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. I have to ask also, so in this production process, I kind of got into like trying to harvest my own, my own seeds because, cause I just like let one of my snapdragons dry out. And I liked the crackle of like trying to harvest those seeds. And we had this one cherry tomato that was the most prolific tabletop cherry tomato I've ever grown. We bought it at our local garden center and I lost the tag for it. So I have no idea what this plant is. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to harvest the tomato seeds and do it. But it was the grossest, like, unsuccessful experience of trying to break the tomato open, like, the jelly that's around the seed, and then, like, dealing with all of that. So how are you doing that with your – because you also grow so many tomato seeds. So, like, what's that process look like in a large scale? Like, how do you harvest those gross, mushy, slimy seeds? We kind of just do it on a bigger scale. We harvest into big totes that can hold, you know, the, like the big wine. Uh, what are they called? Wine totes. Grape totes. Oh, yeah. Grape totes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh-huh. um, the tomatoes are ground up into kind of a pulp. We use uh, it depends on the t- on the tomato, but basically a modified meat grinder to grind them up and uh, a couple of contraptions that spin and separate the seed from as much of the pulp as possible. Then the seed is, and the seed in a lot of the wet pulp is poured into big uh, 55 gallon drums topped Mm -hmm. off with water. And we ferment that for a couple of days to break up the gel coat. And then they're brought out and run through what we call the flume, which is like a sluice. Um, And it's a a water-filled trough with different chambers. And that seed, it gets bathed in the water, basically, and all of the gel coat comes off and the the clean seed drops to the bottom. And so we have a a series of chambers that it runs through in order to wash it off. It's quite a process. Yeah. That's a lot. And that personally for me is like, this is why I will buy my tomato seeds and not (laughs) try and harvest them again. And, you know, I also know you guys have some tabletop tomatoes that I think I'm just going to try your micro tomatoes (laughs) next year instead of uh, trying to figure out my unnamed tomato that we loved. We totally, it was yellow. It was a, it was like almost a a cherry tomato that was bright yellow and so sweet and tiny. I mean, it was tiny. Um, and had like hundreds of tomatoes on it. I have no idea what it was, but, and then dry seeds. Is that, what is a dry, you know, like this, I guess my Snapdragon or like some of my flowers that just kind of dry out. And those seemed easier. I kind of just shook, shook it until the seeds came out. 
Yeah, beans, peas, uh, corn, those are some of the easiest uh, that you can just save seed from. It's as, it's as simple as just letting it dry down on the plant and then getting it out of the shell. And so that's that's an easy first step for seed saving that we encourage people to dabble with. You can also try to dry down like lettuce seed. Lettuce is pretty fun to do because it flowers and it makes these big yeah. uh, stalks with flowers on the top. And then the seed uh, have little... Um, downy, downy, kind of like a dandelion seed. They have the little downy things that help them fly, but those dry down easily on the plant and those are very easy to save. So yeah, it it depends on the, on the plant, the method, but um, there's lots of different ways to save seed. And what about the seeds that require, I think it's called like striation, but the seeds that require like sandpaper or, you know, scratching them a little bit. How do you guys do that? We usually don't striate if it, Requires striation that that'll be in the instructions for growing the seed. Say a morning glory seed has a really hard seed coat, and so mm-hmm. you know you try try to nick that seed coat so that the moisture will permeate into the seed better. The one thing about that is that you you want to make sure that you don't nick the germ because that's where the growth, like the the roots and yeah, mm-hmm. they'll come out. But yeah, it's usually that striation is for uh, harder shell seeds. And you end up nicking the sandpapering, the, the hard shell, and then letting it soak in water to absorb and then sprouting it. Okay, cool. Okay, I can talk to you guys forever about seeds, but we are coming to time. But I did want to wrap up. You know, you guys have shared so much about the process, but I want to know you guys a little bit more too. And I want to pull from your expertise to maybe inspire some gardeners to try starting some seeds or growing some flowers that they haven't tried before. So what are your favorite seeds that you've ever grown? So pretty recently we introduced a new well for new to us a flowering vine called uh love in a puff its genus is cardiospermum and it is so unusual it's really um enchanting it's a it's a flowering vine that's very vigorous and has very delicate leaves so it's pretty ethereal looking and it gets little white flowers that are kind of nondescript they're they're pretty small and you know they're it's, it's not the, the charm isn't in the flowers but it's after the flower um is pollinated it creates a seed pod and the seed pod looks like a little balloon and it's actually filled with air and you could you can squeeze them and and it's it's puffy and then when the seed develops in that little p- balloon puff there are three seeds in each pod and the seed, they start out white with a green heart on them. And then they, when they dry, they'll be creamy white with a black heart. So that's why it's called love in a puff. The seed has a heart on it? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. That's wild. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's a wonderful plant just, you know, looking at it. It'll cover a fence. And it's also really cool. And fresh arrangements it adds a lot of whimsy and, you know, motion to a bouquet. It's very pretty. Oh, I love that. It's super easy to grow. What's your favorite cut flower? I have to ask you, I'm a cut flower mama now. So what would you recommend for us cut flower ladies? I think uh, my go-to is going to be any Cosmos because it's so really? easy to grow. Yeah. yeah. They're so floriferous. There's, they don't want a lot of water or a lot of fertilizer. They can be just amazing colors. Yeah. 
It's just kind of throw and grow. That's that's one of my favorites. And they're ethereal. They're so ethereal. Like they get so big. And we grew this one pot of the cosmos. I think it was like a mixture of pink and white. And the way that they just like move in the wind and it it kind of framed where we would have dinner on our deck at night. And it was just like so... It was just so calming and peaceful. I don't know. I wish they were scented. Like I wish, because, but I don't know. I do feel like Cosmos have such a beautiful, such a beautiful look. They do. Yes. Yeah. And super easy. I love that. Okay. What about you, Andrew? What are your favorite seeds you've grown? My answer is going to be much more down (laughs) to earth. (laughs) You know what I'm going to talk about? No. (laughs) My, My favorite thing to grow is onions. And it sounds so really? mundane. Yes, the humble onion. But I just think they are the most underappreciated vegetable out there because growing them takes so much time and is challenging to it's challenging to grow really good onions. And they're mostly adapted for specific regions based on your latitude. So finding the right variety is really important. And it's a very long uh, cycle from starting the seed in February or like late winter to transplanting them out in the spring and then harvesting them. I've recently, quote unquote, mastered overwintering onions. So I have onions going all the time. And I just think that for, you know, they're considered kind of a commodity and they're cheap at the grocery store. But they really take a lot of attention and effort and practice to get good at them. So that that's really my the thing that I like the most is a good crop of onions. <laughs> I feel like that says so much about your personality. <laughs> yes, it probably does. Yes. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. What are you excited about this season in the like what new varieties are you guys bringing to market that you're ex- that you're excited about? This pepper, obviously, the, the pepper, pepper that cat like get, like glows about. Well, you you mentioned fragrance that the cosmos doesn't have fragrance, and, and most flowers don't. But we have a, a whole line of different stocks that are coming. But the one in our home garden catalog is called uh, Quartet Rainbow, and not only is it super fragrant and it just smells so delicious, but it's a multicolored flower. So each floret has like pink and cream and yellow on it. And so it's a really pretty garden plant and it smells like heaven. So that that's one that I'm very excited about. Tell me more about these dahlias though. I need to know more about what dahlias are you most excited about? Well, I've got a couple dinner plates. I'm doing one of the pom-pom, the little like spherical one. Yeah, the little guys. Yeah, Uh okay. And then I have one, a collarette, which is a single, pretty much a single flower. They look sort of like a daisy, but around the central button, there's just a, like a little rough of petals that are a different color. This one, it's so beautiful. It's like a, a peachy, peachy apricot with like a fuchsia collarette. It's so pretty. Um, so, you know, some big dahlias, but some little tiny ones and they're all, mm-hmm. they're all amazing. So. I love that fuchsia. I feel like I'm growing, I grow my garden for my hummingbirds. So I really only grow like fuchsia purples, like the colors that the hummingbirds are attracted to. That's like the only colors that I grow. Cause I'm like, if my hummingbirds aren't attracted, I don't care. (laughs) 
I learned something interesting that they will actually even go to blue flowers. So one of my favorite herbs is called borage, and it's a little star-shaped like robin egg blue flower. And the bees go nuts over it, but I've seen hummingbirds go to them in the garden too. So yeah, that's, I I grow for birds as well. (laughs) Yeah. You guys sent me borage seeds last year and I didn't grow them. And Everyone is talking about borage this year. And in the medicinal community, borage is big too. So I'm definitely going to try that in my garden this year. I might start hydropo- some hydroponics in my winter hydroponic setup, and maybe I'll try borage too, because that sounds like Borage fun. gets really big, though. It does? It, okay. Yeah. And it's really easy to grow. Again, it's one of those throw and grow kind of things. It also volunteers. So once you plant it, you'll have it pretty much forever. Forever. Um, but okay. it, it's a wonderful <laughs> companion plant because it attracts pollinators. Um, you can eat the flowers. The whole plant's edible. It tastes mildly of cucumber. So it's a really nice thing to dress up, you know, a dish that you're taking to a potluck or, you know, for a dinner party if you want to freeze some in ice cubes. Um, and it is, it's touted as a spirit elevating herb. So, I mean, it's a win-win-win. <laughs> it's a really great Great plant. Yeah. I love that. Andrew, what about you? What are you excited about? Oh, uh, just a few. What I mean, onions ex- are you excited? <laughs> what onions should we all well, be growing got a this great year? New onion called Cartier, which is going to set the new standard in storage quality. Let me tell you. But okay. um, aside, <laughs> aside from onions, um, there's a new ca- a new orange cauliflower that we're really excited about called Clementine. And this Ooh. is orange cauliflowers can be a little tricky to grow. They're not always happy to head up at different in different areas. And if it's too hot, they won't form a good crown. But this one is is much more reliable um, in all different parts of the country in different time slots. So we're really excited about it. It has uh, an amazing color to it that is hard to describe, but it has like an electric orange with a bit of a coral color to it. It's just outstanding. Wow. And it, it holds its color better when you're cooking it. So um, cool. I think all around that's going to be really cool. A new cucumber that I've been trying to get for a few years now, we finally got a hold of. It's called Quick Snack, and that's our uh, newest <gasps> addition to the yeah the kitchen counter collection. I just jumped out of my seat. I am a, a snacking cucumber fiend. Yeah. So this is a little bushy uh, variety that is totally fine growing in like a six or eight inch pot on your countertop and uh, it branches nicely and produces a bunch of little, you know, like mini Bayet Alpha type cucumbers just for snacking right off the vine. Those are per, cause we buy the like, I think they're marketed as like Persian cucumbers. We buy those in the grocery store cause we make so many salads that it's like easier to just cut a small cucumber up than like cut it and then leave it. And then it starts to like wrinkle in the fridge those are so sweet and good too. I mean, they're just so yeah. much better than the typical slices. Than the big, like seedy ones. Yeah, and salads. You know. Can you also talk a little bit about, because I know this came out last year, but, you know, we have so many houseplant enthusiasts, so many people that don't live on five acres the way that I do, you know, people who are living in New York City, small apartments. And your kitchen counter thing is like a new thing that you guys launched that is really cool. So can you talk just a little bit about? The, that line, because I'm actually excited to try to grow some of those in my lettuce grow this summer, this winter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a, a, a new line of varieties that we've selected that 
are bred specifically for growing in small containers. And so you can grow them indoors. Most of, you know, they're all um, totally suitable for growing in anywhere between six and eight inch pots and they don't require supplemental light. So if you have a sunny windowsill, they'll do just fine. So we have several tomatoes and a couple of peppers and now a cucumber in that collection. Uh, we have uh, jalapeno, potapeno. We have two snack peppers. So that's great for COVID gardeners or people who are stuck inside or people without, uh, you know, even if you just have a patio or a balcony, they'll do fine outside on a patio too. But small space gardening is really important. Um, and uh, we hope that people, you know, are able to use those. Yeah. And I love, you know, maybe we can just wrap up about, you know, your mission to like empower all people. Like, yes, you have a very expansive list that maybe might feel overwhelming to like the beginner gardener, but you're so much of the company's mission is, is empowering everyone to grow all seasons. But, um, you know, what would you say to obviously the, ex the experienced gardeners, you're not finding better selection than territorial seed. Like there's so many different things that you can go test for new, but for beginning gardeners who maybe might be curious to start seeds for the first time, or might be, you know, curious to try windowsill gardening or, or small space gardening, like what would you say to them? Well, yeah, we, we believe in equal opportunity gardening. I've spent a lot of my life in apartments and I was a very frustrated gardener. So we, you know, we feel the pain. If you don't have a, a vegetable patch or even a patio, you, you can, we want to make it so that it's accessible to you where you can just grow a couple of plants on a windowsill or, you know, on your stoop or wherever and, and be able to nurture your own plants and, and enjoy your own homegrown food. Mm -hmm. I love it. And where would you suggest people start? So everyone should go to territorialseed.com slash growing joy. That's going to get you the 10% off discount. Territorial is a, you know, long-term partner of ours. Where would you like recommend people start when they go to the website and start poking around? I guess find your favorite vegetable or flower and look up, you know, by category and just see whatever calls your name, you know, um, we actually have seed collections for that are um, tailored for different kind of whatever you want to do. Like, so we have a an easy throw and grow kind of collection. So if you you don't really know, you know, I just I just want to plant the seed directly and then harvest my fruit. You can check out that collection. We also have like a super smoothie blend. So if you're into smoothies, we have a little collection of vegetables that are really good for adding, you know, vitamins and color and flavor to your smoothies. But yeah, just kind of poke around and you can always ask or request a catalog. We'll send you the paper catalog, the print print catalog. And it's like you said, it's, a, it's very informative. We worked really hard to give as much information as possible. So it can be used as a, a growing guide for somebody who, you know, just to need, who needs to have like the basic questions answered and um it's all in there i love the catalog i feel like the catalog is like a vibe in itself with the illustrations and the cover and it's just like a whole thing it's very informative i'm also someone that 
loves magazines. Like in this digital age, I still subscribe to Better Homes and Gardens, Martha Stewart Living, Real Simple. And like it's that monthly delivery is like my favorite time of the month, you know, getting to sit and leaf through. And there is that there is that like I I comb through the whole catalog every year because I feel like I just like learn stuff, you know, even if I'm not ordering everything off the catalog. Like I just, I read it like a magazine and I don't know if that makes me weird and nerdy, but I do. And I learn a lot. So <laughs> I can't recommend, everyone should request, request the catalog. Cause it's, it's a nice, uh, morning coffee moment. For gardeners who are still learning or throughout the season, uh, we have all of our growing guides right on the front of the website too, up at the top. And we have crop by crop growing guides that'll help uh, walk you through the whole process from start to finish. And those, we put a lot of energy into uh, keeping those up to date and we're editing them every year and adding knowledge. So that's a great resource for anybody who's uh, gardening. Amazing. Well, this has been so fun. I have personally been very curious about, you know, how these little seed packets, the love, the time that goes into these seed packets that, you know, we all use all the time. So thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And uh, I'm so excited to grow more territorial seed stuff this this summer in my garden, wherever we're moving again. So wherever we land, I'm really excited to to grow something or other with you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Maria. It was, it was really nice talking yeah, to you. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was really fun. Thank you, Andrew and Kat, for entertaining me as I just grilled you, man. I this was a this was a true interview. I was really grilling them about every aspect, frankly, because I was so curious. I hope that this episode has awakened an interest and a deeper appreciation for the practice of seed starting plant friends. And thank you to Territorial Seed Company for lending me Kat and Andrew to get grilled. Territorial Seed Company has been a huge supporter of the podcast for, is it over two years now? They're an invaluable partner. Their products are incredible. I really love their seeds. I've I've started them, you know, three years in a row. I'm currently, they came out with a line of kitchen counter seeds, which are edible plants, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, that you can grow in six to eight inch pots and are supposed to be able to be grown in lower light. And so I actually got those seeds and I'm growing them in my lettuce grow, which is so fun in the winter in the middle of, you know, the dark winter. It's so fun to be growing tiny tomatoes. Whatever you want to grow, Territorial Seed has it. I really appreciate their partnership. Their partnership is a reason why I can bring these weekly episodes to you. And after this episode, you should head to territorialseed.com slash growing joy and get 10% off your order. So whatever you're inspired by, whether it's flowers, edibles, herbs, head to territorialseed.com slash growing joy to get 10% off at checkout. Plant friend, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like what you heard, make sure that you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss an episode. We have incredible episodes lined up in 2023, and I don't want you to miss one topic. And while you're subscribing, would you mind clicking over to the review section and leaving us a review? Reviews are tremendously helpful for the growth of the podcast, so I thank you in advance for helping this podcast reach as many planty earbuds as possible across the globe. If you're looking for more opportunities to grow as a plant parent with Growing Joy content, we've got a ton of free options for you. 
First, there's the plant parent personality test. It's so fun. It takes literally three minutes to complete. You take the test, you get your plant parent personality profile and a curated list of plants, projects, and podcast episodes that are right up your alley, tailored just for you, inspired by your results. The link is in the show notes. Make sure to let me know what your personality is after you take the test. If you're looking to uplevel your plant parent game, check out my website. We've got a bunch of free guides that you can download on topics like understanding natural light, which is actually a three-day worksheet, and nine ways to green up your office if you need to bring a little bit of planty joy into your work life. And finally, I want to invite you to join the plantiest and kindest corner of the internet, my online garden society. It's both a web platform and an iOS and Android app. It allows our listeners to get together in an algorithm and troll-free online space to swap plant care tips, humble brag about plant wins, and get support when you have plant fails. We have monthly live planty show and tells on Zoom, which are so fun, and even have a living library of planty book recommendations sourced from our community. You can go to jointhegardensociety.com to grab your membership. And for anything else, plant friend, I am here for you. Feel free to drop me a line, whether you have an idea for an episode, an event, or maybe you're even a planty business interested in sponsoring the show. And of course, following me on Instagram and TikTok for daily planty silliness, musings, and tips is always recommended. You can find me across socials at Growing Joy with Maria. Thank you again so much for listening. It is truly my honor and life's delight to help you keep blooming and keep growing joy. Plant care is self-care on Growing Joy, the podcast. Make new plant friends, propagate knowledge, and grow some freaking joy. That's the motto of the Growing Joy Garden Society app and platform, otherwise known as the plantiest and kindest corner of the internet. If you've been an OG listener or a longtime listener, you might also know this app and platform as the Bloom and Grow Garden Party, but with the rebrand, we've rebranded it to the Growing Joy Garden Society. No trolls allowed, kind plant friends only. And if you haven't heard about the society yet, Plant Friend, you got to join. It's my online community that you can access via iOS or Android app or on your computer that I built to connect our international community of plant friends so we can all nerd out together about plants and celebrate our passion for our beloved plant babies. We have members literally all over the world. I'm so in love with this community of sweet plant friends. I can't say enough amazing things about them. But also there's a lot of really cool features about the app you might be interested in. There's dedicated hashtags to all sorts of different subsects of planty passions like houseplants, gardening, plant-inspired DIY projects, growing joy, plants and pets, and so many more. There's a plantrepreneur group, so if you're a planty entrepreneur and you want to connect with other planty entrepreneurs, you can join that group to connect and network. There's a plant swap section, plus the entire app, and this is my favorite part, is entirely searchable. So say you want to learn more about Hoya, you type the word Hoya into the search bar, and literally every post ever created about Hoya will Will pop up so you can click in, see what other people have been posting about Hoya and learn on your own and crowdsource hair information. It's so cool. But last but not least, it's an amazing way to support the show. Your monthly membership not only goes to sustaining the platform, but it also supports my team of editors, writers, and a community manager that help the world of Bloom and Grow keep growing. So come join us. All you got to do is go to jointhegardensociety.com and sign up for the community plan. Once again, you go to jointhegardensociety.com and click Click the community plan. Hot take plant friends. There is no one right starter plant. There, I said it. 
And you know what? While I'm at it, there are also no real plant killers in the world. There are just people who have not figured out their right plants for their lifestyle. This is why I created the free Plant Parent Personality Test, because Plant Friend, I want you to get thriving alongside your houseplants as quickly as possible, so I made this cutie little Plant Parent Personality Quiz that's totally free for you on my website to take the guesswork out of building your plant collection effortlessly and joyfully. After speaking to thousands of members in our community, I realized that there are about five key plant parent personalities, each one with their unique set of strengths, weaknesses, and a unique set of plants that thrive under their care. For example, a mindful plant parent, someone who wants to engage with their plants daily, use them in their morning routines. If someone gifted that plant parent a succulent and they watered it every day, that succulent would die immediately. However... That drought-resistant succulent is a perfect match for a low-key plant parent, which is someone who travels, has kids, is busy, doesn't have time to engage with their plants every day. They're looking to engage with their plants more like once a week or once every couple of weeks. In addition, obviously, to understanding your light and basic plant care that we provide on this podcast, Happy Plant Parenthood is all about discovering your personality and then picking the right house plants to go with it. It's that simple. No more stressing over your collection. So what plant parent personality type are you, plant friend? All you got to do to find out is take my free quiz on my website and let me know. You can access it at growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality. After taking the test, you'll get an email with a list of plants, podcast episodes, and planty projects that I think would light you specifically up like a full spectrum grow light. So once again, that's growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality for your free plant parent personality test results. Mm-hmm. 